Okay, by a show of hands, how many of you know how to drive a manual transmission? That is a stick shift. Oh, wow, very good. Much more than I thought there would be. Very good. I, uh, I, I, recently, I recently saw a meme, perhaps you've seen it as well, where it said that uh, we could cripple an entire generation if we just went back to driving stick shifts and riding in cursive. Have you seen this? <laughs> well, then, for, then this, you know what, this is great, because this, this illustration is going to connect. For, because for those of you who know how to drive a stick shift, you know that really the only way to, to learn how to drive a stick shift is by actually driving one, right? I mean, sure, someone can tell you how to do it, Someone could, they could even give you some notes. But to really learn how to drive it, you, you just got to grind it out, don't you? In other words, the way you become better at it is by actually doing it. Well, faith, the same is true in regards to our topic this morning, and that is prayer. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul, he concludes his masterful letter, his masterful letter by reminding us that as God's people, we are in a spiritual battle, right? We fight not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Yet because Christ has disarmed and put to open shame these evil dark forces in the heavenly places. And because Christ Jesus has been raised up and seated at the highest place of authority in the heavenly places, and because, as Paul teaches in Ephesians 2, that God has seated us with Christ in a position of authority and victory in the heavenly places, what is our role to be in this spiritual battle? Well, as Paul has made clear in this final chapter of Ephesians, he exhorts us that our role in this spiritual battle is to stand firm in the Lord's strength. Right? Christ has won the victory. We as his people, how do we engage our defeated foe? How do we interact with our defeated foe as they still try to attack us? Our call isn't to win the victory. Christ has done that. Our call, call is now to stand firm in the Lord's strength, not ours. So as we've been discussing the last several weeks, here's the million-dollar question. How? Right? How do we stand firm in someone else's strength. I know how to stand firm in my strength. I know how to strengthen myself. But, but how do I appropriate? How do I get God's strength to help me in this battle? Because you know what, Faith? As your pastor, I know as your pastor that some of you, even this very morning, you are weary You are fatigued. 
you feel worn down by the constant attacks of the enemy and living in this fallen world. In fact, Fred, is that true of you? If so, be of good cheer. Because in this passage, Paul, Paul just doesn't tell us to stand firm in the Lord's strength. You know what he does in his kindness? He tells us how. In this text, Christian, God offers you his strength to stand firm. So how do you get that, that strength? Well, I want to suggest syntactically, based on how Paul has structured this, He's highlighted three ways. The first is you need to be aware of your adversary. Right? This is how Paul begins this section in verses 10 through 12. And then for the last two Sundays, we learned how we need to be equipped with God's armor. These are verses 13 through 17. Friend, if, if you want to be strengthened by the Lord... If you want to know how you practically appropriate and get God's strength in your life, Paul makes it clear you must put on God's armor. Right, right? Listen, Goliath prevails if David wears Saul's armor, right? Okay, we need to put on God's armor. That is, we must be attentive to put on the six pieces of armor because notice Paul says, put on the whole armor of God as described in these texts. This is how we get the Lord's strength. But there's morning, Paul directs our attention to one more, and I would suggest a vital way in which we can be strengthened by the Lord, and that is by being persistent in prayer. And this is going to be our attention and our focus this, this morning. However, you need to know this. What you need to understand is that this text, the two verses we're going to focus in in particular, 18 through 20, this text isn't so much a theology of prayer, but rather instructions on how to do it. That is, Paul gives us direction how we, God's people, are to pray. So you know what? That's exactly what we're going to do. So there's no surprises. Here's the plan for this morning. I'm going to give a brief, and I, and I actually mean that word. <laughs> I'm going to give a brief exposition of these several verses. And then we're going to spend time for several minutes as a congregation being doers of the word and putting Paul's instruction into practice. What I'm going to do after I explain what these verses mean, I'm going to invite you to join the other people in your row or maybe a row in front of you or behind you to pray out loud and to pray as Paul outlines us to pray in Ephesians 6. I love what one commentator has said this. He says, Ephesians begins by lifting us up to the heavenlies and ends by pulling us down to our knees. So that is what we're going to do. But now I also just want to say, and I really, really mean this. I in no way want anyone to feel uncomfortable. In fact, some of you now, your hands might be sweating, right? The idea that I'm going to have to 
talk to someone frequently. We don't want anyone to feel uncomfortable, but I do want you to pray. Especially if you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, you're commanded to. But if, but if you don't feel comfortable praying out loud, that is perfectly fine. And what I invite you to do as, you kinda, as we cluster up into groups here in a little bit, just say, you know what, I'm just going to listen in and pray in my own heart and mind. Okay? But first, to the exposition. So if, so if you haven't already, uh, please turn within your Bibles to Ephesians 6. That's page 979 in that paperback Bible. And as I said, we're going to focus in here on persistent prayer. And follow along with me as I read verses 10 through 20. And I'm coming out of the skylight so I can actually see. Okay? <laughs> Following your copy of God's Word. Paul writes this. He says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Okay, Paul, how? Verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God. Why? That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the where? The heavenly places, and, and not to beat a dead horse, but we've talked about it, and it's so important over the last several weeks. If you look at what Paul teaches concerning the heavenly places in Ephesians, he starts off by saying we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenly places. And then Christ has been raised to the highest position of authority in the heavenly places, and we are seated with Christ in the highest position of authority in the heavenly places. So whatever we're thinking about this, we understand, again, our foe is defeated. And through our union with Christ, we are with Christ. So verse 13, he says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. As we discussed last week, it's never the event or the circumstances that brings a person to ruin. Rather, it's what they're telling themselves about that circumstance that brings them to ruin. That is, they begin to believe the lies of the evil one. So Paul says, in all circumstances, we take up the shield of faith. That is, we believe what God has said about us and himself and others and our circumstances. We believe that by faith, even if in the moment our feelings tell us otherwise. And we do not allow the, the, the lies like God is not good. He doesn't care for us. He has abandoned us. We don't allow those to sink in. We take up the shield of faith. Verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And then here are the two verses we're going to focus in on. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplications, to that end keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints 
and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Amen and amen. This is God's good word. Uh, several years ago, my family was invited to go to Keeneland. Has anyone been to Keeneland before? Willing to admit it? Okay, great. Yes. Someone we knew owned a racehorse that was actually in a stakes race. So they invited us to go up there, and we got to be in the owner's box. And, and to do that, we all got dressed up in our, in our Sunday best, and we went to the track. However, we just didn't stay in the owner's box. Our friend then took us to meet the jockey. He took us down to the paddock to meet the horse. And he even brought us down into the winner's circle right there, right off the track. And I noticed that wherever he took us, there were multiple, I mean multiple gates and security guards stationed there. That is to say, there were many barriers for us to get to the places that he wanted to take us. In fact, the only way, the only way that we could have access to those places was because we were with him. Well, faith, in many ways, Paul has been making the same argument in regards to Jesus Christ and our access to God the Father. Consider what Paul has taught in Ephesians 2. Do you remember what he said? Paul has taught that in our natural condition, what are we? We're, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. We're enslaved to sin. The devil is our father. And we are children of wrath. Remember this? Indeed, what does he then say in verse 13? He, he uses this phrase. He says, outside of Christ, we were far off. That is, we did not have access any access to God. Yet through the work of Christ, what does Paul say now in Ephesians 2, 17 and 19? I'm going to throw it up here on the screen. Listen to what he says. He says, And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. And then listen to this phrase. For through him we have both access in one spirit to the Father. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Friend, please hear me. Far greater than standing in the winner's circle at Keeneland. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we have, imagine this, access to God the Father through prayer. That's amazing. But is it true of you? Do you belong to God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you belong to the household of faith? Or, friend, are you, are you, are you far off Friend, please hear me, and I say this with the greatest sincerity and love. There is a coming judgment. 
You are going to stand. One day you are going to stand before your creator and you are going to have to give an account for the sins and wrongdoings you have committed in word and deed and thought. And you know what? We don't have to guess what the verdict is. You know why? Because God's word has already told us. And you know, you know what God's word tells us? He clearly tells us that our sin earns us the verdict guilty. It earns us judgment. It earns us, and it earns you, friend. Please hear me. And I don't say this lightly. Your sin earns you eternal damnation and judgment in hell. Friend, this is what you've earned. You've earned this through your sin. You are under God's wrath. You see, look, if, if I took a poll here and surveyed every one of you, everyone knows they're a sinner. That's not our problem. No, our problem is we just don't think our sin earns judgment. But it does. In God's word, and indeed even Jesus Christ himself has made this abundantly clear. And it gets worse. Not only does our sin earn us judgment, but friend, there is nothing we can do to pay off this sin debt that we've incurred. There's nothing we can do in and of ourselves to be free from the wrath we are owed. And this is precisely why we need Jesus. Because you know what the good news of Scripture is, friend? It's that God the Father sent God the Son to the perfect obedient life you have failed to live. Then on the cross, hear this good news. On the cross, God's Son willingly went to the cross to absorb the punishment each of us are owed for our sin. Friend, if you haven't already, in your life, consider this life-giving message Listen, the judgment you deserve, the wrath you are owed that is due you because of your sin, Jesus bore that on the cross for you. Then three days later, he rose triumphantly from the grave, proving that he was indeed the Son of God and also proving that his work was sufficient to save all who would trust in him. You see, this is what makes the message of Jesus Good news. Jesus does all the work. We receive all the benefits simply by faith. That is, salvation comes to the person who confesses their sin to God and believes by faith that Jesus died on the cross, please hear me, to save them. Friend, have you made this exchange today? Have you, gone to, have, you, have you come to a place where you've refused and you've stopped putting your trust in your own righteousness to save you and instead gone all in on the perfect work of the Lord Jesus Christ? Friend, salvation comes to the person who confesses their sin to God and believes by faith that Jesus died for them. Have you done that? If not, repent and believe. Let today be the day of salvation for you. Become a member of God's household. 
and now have access to God the Father through prayer. And for those of you here who have been brought near to God, for those of you who do have access to God through Christ, notice what Paul says here in verse 18. We are commanded to pray. Indeed, based on the language Paul uses, it's quite clear that we are commanded to be persistent in prayer, aren't we? I mean, look at the phrases he uses. Have your eyes fall there once more in verse 18. Notice how often Paul uses the word all. He uses it four times. Notice we are to pray at all times, with all supplications, with all perseverance, for all the saints. Prayer is not to be a special occasion activity. Prayer is to be a constant, ongoing practice. Indeed, when we consider what Paul teaches concerning prayer in this passage, we, we could summarize it this way. We could summarize it this way. We are to be persistent in prayer, and our prayers are to be, I would suggest, God-focused and others-oriented. God-focused and others-oriented. Where do I get this idea, this notion that our prayers are to be God-focused? Well, consider what Paul says at the beginning of verse 18. Have, have your eyes look there. Paul writes that we are to pray at all times in the what? In the Spirit. We are to pray at all times in the Spirit. Well, what, what does that mean? To pray in the Spirit. Well, let's for a moment, let's consider the alternative and that would be to pray in the flesh. To pray in the flesh is to make, please hear me, our wills, our wants, our wishes, our desires preeminent. James speaks of this type of prayer, does he not? In James chapter 4, verses 2 through 3. James absolutely speaks of this type of prayer. Because what does he write there? He says, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive, and he says this, because, listen, you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You see, faith, and this is very important, there is a kind of prayer that is disguised as a form of coveting. Whereas some might fight and steal to get what they want, Others can misuse prayer as a means of telling God what they think they need and what He therefore should give them. These are prayers that are not offered in the Spirit. These are prayers that are offered in the flesh, friend. They are prayers that are offered without any reference to God and His will but simply motivated by the desires of our own idolatries. Praying in the Spirit, prayer in the Spirit rather, is focused on making much of God, not ourselves. It places God's will and His glory at the center of our prayers. That becomes our chief concern. Sinclair Ferguson helps us out here. 
In his book on the Holy Spirit, Ferguson writes this. He says, praying in the Spirit is prayer that conforms to the purpose, to the will, and the purpose of the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit is prayer that conforms to the will and purpose of the Spirit. So, you all are very smart, intelligent people. I can see it on your faces. And you're, I know the question you're asking. You're wondering, okay, how does one come to know the will and the purpose of the Spirit? Well, not to be Captain Obvious, but we come to know the purpose of the Spirit from where Paul just mentioned in the previous verse, and that is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Do you see that? The sword of the Spirit, God's Word, instructs us on how to pray in the Spirit. Can I ask, do you think you've mostly been praying in the flesh and not the Spirit? That is, in your honest moments, do you think, could it be that you've been using prayer as a disguise for your coveting? Please don't misunderstand me. Are we to go to God for all our needs and concerns? What's the answer to that? Yes, absolutely. Yet our chief motivation and desire mustn't be that our wants, our wishes, and our desires get met, but that God is glorified and honored. Amen? You know why? Because that is our greatest need. That God would be honored and glorified and made much of in each and every moment of our lives. I mean, what did Jesus Christ himself teach us? When he was teaching his disciples on how to pray in Matthew chapter 6, what's the first thing Christ instructs us to pray for? Our Father in heaven, what? Hallowed be my name, my needs. No, whose? Your name. That is God first above anything else. May you be honored and glorified in all things, especially the needs and concerns I have right now. Faith, when we pray, our prayer must be, this is where I'm getting God-focused. That is, our prayers must have God's will and glory be our chief concern. You know, uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but we as a church, we have a pretty big need ourselves, don't we? <laughs> it rhymes with filming, building, right? We need a building, right? And in a moment, we're going to pray for that. We're going to pray for that. That God would provide a new place for us to meet. Yet, as we pray, asking God to provide, we must, as we rather, entrust our need over to Him. Our greatest desire must be His honor and glory. Right, Lord, may, may you be made much of. Lord, may, may you be honored as we seek a new building. God, would you provide one in such a way, in such a miraculous way, that it's clear that you deserve, as we sing this morning, the greater glory. 
So it's God-focused, but then it's others-oriented. Look at what Paul writes at the end of verse 18, and then notice how he calls his readers to pray for him. He says, to keep alert with all perseverance. This is where we're getting the idea of persistence, making supplication for all the saints. That's you, that's me. That's the kidders in Ethiopia. That, that's our missionaries. Pray for all the saints. And verse 19, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So, so what is it that Paul wants us to pray about for others? Well, clear, two clear notions, I think, emerge from this passage. First, others-oriented. We need to pray that they would stand firm. Right? That they would stand firm. Sorry. Uh, context is king, Right? So first, based on the context of these verses, it would seem, and it's clear, that his concern that what we pray for these other saints is that they'd stand firm in the Lord's strength. That is, they would take up the whole armor of God. Now, now to be sure, let's just think about this for a moment. Paul has given us much to consider when praying for others in the book of Ephesians, hasn't he? I mean, his own prayers reveal that he wants us to know the love of God and that the eyes of our hearts would be opened and enlightened to know the hope of our calling, right? Some, some beautiful prayers in the, in the book of Ephesians. Yet I would suggest that all of these requests of Paul are moving towards this, this chief concern, and that is that God's people would stand firm in the faith. In fact, I want to argue that we actually see this in Paul's prayer in chapter 3, verse 16, don't we? Because what does he pray there? He prays that how according to the riches of God's glory, God may grant us, and what does he say? To be strengthened with power through his spirit. As we, our prayers, they need to be God-focused and others-oriented, and as we're thinking of how we pray for others, what ought to be top on the list is that they would stand firm in the faith. So, so let me ask you, Faith Community Church, how do you pray for the other Christians in this church? Maybe I could even ask this. Do you pray for your brothers and sisters in this church? Let us be the people who pray for our brothers and sisters in this church that they would stand firm by putting on the whole armor of God. Let us pray for one another that we would put on the belt of truth, that we would love the truth and believe the truth enough to speak it, even when it costs us something. Let us pray for our brothers and sisters in this church that they would put on the breastplate of righteousness, that they would choose to live holy lives, that they'd put on the shoes of gospel peace. Let us, let us pray that our brothers and sisters in the Lord would take up the shield of faith in all circumstances. That is, they would speak the truth of God's word to their hearts, believing what God says about them and their circumstances and others. And they would believe that by faith and not believe the lies of the evil one or trust their feelings more than the word of God. 
Let us pray for our brothers and sisters that they would put on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. Let us pray that we would stand firm in the faith. I mean, hey, who wouldn't want someone to pray for you like that? I know I would. So let's do it. Let's pray like this for each other. But then second, as as we pray for others, I think Paul would also have us pray that we would share Christ. I have never, I have never been arrested or put in prison, and I don't have any plans to do so either. Never been in prison, but but what if I were? Here's a better question. What if you were? What if you were in prison and not like the resorts we have here in America? Like, what if you were in prison and it was terrible conditions? What would you ask God's people to pray for about you? Notice, Paul is writing this letter in chains, isn't he? And he's in chains, he's been arrested, he's in prison for speaking, for talking, for speaking the truth of the gospel. And of all the things Paul could ask the Ephesian church to pray for, Again, put yourself in his shoes. What does he ask? Look again at verse 19. He asks that he would speak the mystery of the gospel boldly. That is his chief concern. The very thing that got him arrested, the very thing that has brought upon him a circumstance of suffering, he wants, would you pray for me? that I would keep speaking this gospel boldly. I love what um, New Testament scholar Steve Ball writes about Paul here. Commenting on this text, Ball writes this. He says, Paul appears at first glance to be a superhero. He does not ask prayer for his safety and custody or for kind treatment. He does not ask for his physical needs to be met or for health or for his freedom. All he wants is boldness to proclaim the gospel. But in that request, he shows just how real a human and not a superhero he really is. Paul asks for boldness because he is concerned about his lack of courage in the evil day that he has already faced before many times. Can you relate? In this way, can you relate to lacking courage to speak the gospel boldly? Let me put it this way. Do you struggle with the fear of man? Guess what? So did the Apostle Paul at times. Does that that perversely encourage you? It perversely encourages me. The Apostle Paul at times struggled with the fear of man. That's why he asked, would you pray for me that I would share and speak 
speak the gospel boldly in the prison guard. Faith, when was the last time you prayed for the others in this church that they would boldly share Christ with others? Not, not pray for the salvation of the lost, though we definitely need to do that. But when was the last time you prayed for the boldness of the Christian to share the gospel at the gym, in the neighborhood, at school, at work, at the soccer game? What? I'll tell you what. If you've, if you've never done that, or you haven't done that recently, don't worry. You know why? Because we're going to do it right now. Again, there are no surprises. I told you about this beforehand. For the next several minutes, I invite you to group up with the people in your row or the row behind you to pray. And what are we going to pray? The outline of the screen. Let us pray for the people of this church. It could be the people in, that you're with or just you can just say the people and the members of Faith Community Church. In our prayers for the saints of Faith Community Church, let us pray that God would be honored and glorified in their lives. Let us also pray that God would be honored and glorified in our search for a new meeting place. Amen? Let us pray that God would open up the door to multiple places that would be willing to have us meet in their location. But as we pray for one another, let us pray that each of us would stand firm in the faith. Let us pray that we would share Christ boldly. And then after several minutes, I'll close us in prayer, and then we'll, we'll end our service by celebrating the Lord's Supper. So uh, as they say in the airlines, you're free to move about the cabin. Let's gather together and pray, and then I'll call us back together in a few moments.